0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this Sunday school hour here at Faith Baptist Church. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to John 19. Can anybody tell me what we talked about last week? Hey, Amanda? Okay. Can anybody tell me what we taught on two weeks ago? Christ's power over death. Uh, did you say Christology? Yes. <laughs> she did, not I me. Mean. Was it Christ's power over death? Uh, Jesus? No. <laughs> I thought it was death. Was it sin? John 18? No. Hang on, let me look at no. the podcast. No. I think I'm going to say John the week before that because I think I was teaching Sunday school. Okay. John 1? We're in John 19 this week? It was the death of Christ. It was the death of Christ, yeah. Power over, over No, because that was an actual lesson we taught about Lazarus that you taught. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's why I kept sticking with it. It may be so, <laughs> yeah. It's like no, One I'm can sure hope. Of uh, yes, but can anybody tell me what chapter we were in last week? Was it was not. Is it the delay that sure. bad? No, he's listening to, last he's to Oh. John 19? Yeah. Where are you going? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you read chapter 19, uh, you'll see that it starts with uh, Jesus being uh, scourged. And then it's the story of the cross. So in John 19, we're going to start this morning in verse 38. We need to get that light bulb replaced because it's dark over here. No, 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 not right now. Just in between services or something. He's going to do it anyways, isn't he? No, you're good. Oh, okay. Uh, Verse 38 is the beginning of the story of the burial of Christ. So when you're talking about the gospel, Right? We use that phrase, the gospel. We say, like, uh, we're giving the gospel to the community. Or uh, we need to share the gospel with our friends and families and neighbors. That's probably fine. Okay. Was it the classroom? Okay, and it is fine. That's a lot less noise than I used to make in Sunday school, junior church. Seriously. We used to have bicycle horns going off. I'd see how loud I could get the kids going. We'd chuck candy in the air. It was a good time good old days I can't wait till we do a vacation Bible school someday oh it's gonna be I, I'm gonna have nobody telling me no on stuff it's gonna be epic there's gonna be like pyrotechnics going off it'd be like uh, she hadn't been able to so far it's been over ten years so It'll be like a giant whale coming out of the sky we need to Joshua needs to him, continue to learn about coding things so he can create a program where I'm actually pretty stinking good at this point. Okay. Well, when you get to the point where you can create a VR program for yeah, like an Oculus or something. Sick. Like ten years. Right. Where we can create where we can put people in Bible stories. That's virtual, the goal. Like the Jurassic Park thing? Yeah. For, but like for the Bible. That would be really cool. Yeah. Like to stand there next to, like, a, an illuminescence a right. that would represent God oh, okay. as he's creating. How amazing would that be? Uh, evidently, it's going to take him 10 years just to learn how to begin doing that. So it's going to be a while. Uh, but we got so... Distracted off there. Man, we went on a rabbit trail so far. We didn't even catch stew, you guys. We just got distracted. Bring it back to John nineteen. Um, so we were talking about the gospel. the gospel and what the gospel is, right? So when we're talking about, you know, giving the gospel, sharing the gospel, so forth and so on, what are we talking about? What is it that we're trying to say? The word. The word, yeah, but there's, you know, sixty six books in the Bible. Talking about salvation, sure. But when we're talking about the gospel, like we we learn about the Romans road. Some people will memorize what to go through. I honestly, if I was to ever teach a, a soul winning class, I wouldn't do that. I don't like the idea of you memorizing like a list of things to go through. When I want somebody from our church to do soul winning, I want it to be personal. I want it to be something you fully understand and something that you're passionate about. We were just sitting at the table not that long ago uh, arguing about the uh, inner workings and uh, technical aspects of the animated world, AKA cartoons, you know? And at some point, uh, we were arguing about Tom and Jerry. That's what it was. Uh, And Josh was like, you're defending a mouse. And the mouse was always mean to Jerry. I'm like, "The, the cat was trying to eat the mouse. And at some point, my mom was like, okay, it's a cartoon. And I was like, first of all, it's an animation, okay? And she was like, you know what? Josh was like, you know what? I don't care anymore. Not that important to me, all of a sudden. But that kind of passion, I want soul winners from our church to have about the gospel, right? And what the gospel is, is some people say it's made up of four parts. Most people say it's made up of three parts. And it is... The death of Christ. It is the burial of Christ because that is also important, and we're going to talk about that in a second. And the third part is the resurrection of Christ, and they're all three just as important as the other. To talk about the importance of the the death of Christ, that's the cross, right? What we talked about last week because. That was where the blood was shed, right? That's where the blood comes from. Think about the Lord's Supper we're gonna do next week is Easter Sunday. Uh, next week, we've taken the cup. What did Jesus say about the cup? He said, this is the blood which was shed for you, right? The blood which was shed for you, that is the cross, the pain he endured, the suffering, the, the blood he shed, all that he went through was your punishment right because those thorns in his skull were supposed to be in your skull right the that cat of nine tails he was whipped with was your cat of nine tails you were supposed to be whipped with right the nails that went through his hands that cross that cross that Jesus hung on it was supposed to be your cross but he got up there on your behalf On the behalf of the whole world. That's what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Right? He did not want to. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin There on the cross. That's what he's talking about in Gethsemane. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It wasn't the cross. It wasn't the suffering. It was the sin. He didn't want to become a part of himself. It completely repelled who he was as a being, as a person, as God. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will but thine. And then he, in a form, drinks the cup. Right? So he doesn't want to be sin but he's embracing it because of his love for us, his love for you. And this is important to note because it contradicts what a lot of people how and the the style that a lot of people preach in. The love he had for us outweighed his hate for our sin. Because he had to consume our sin to die for us. <laughs> and if he hated our sin more than he loved us, he would have never done that. What yes. It was the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, okay. um, it, it should just be a couple of, of chapters back. Uh, chapter 18. Okay. Um, that particular, I think that particular verse is in Matthew. Uh, it'll be toward the end of Matthew, probably chapter 26. Yes. Matthew 26, uh, 42. It says, uh, he went again the second time again and prayed and said, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he mentions it, I think, before. Yeah, in verse 39. He says, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Yeah, so. The way that the four gospel messages that were written in the Bible work is that they each give different details, right? And it's not contradictory because some people say, well, I see this detail in Matthew and I don't see it in John. Does that mean that their stories don't line up together and that there are errors in the Bible? No, that's not what that means. What it means is that Matthew is giving details John just didn't mention. Right, But John is giving details that Matthew didn't mention. And in order to get the full picture of what's happening, you have to read all four accounts and get all the details from all four accounts. right? And that does take some personal study, but Easter's coming up. So if you're looking for something to study this week, which I recommend you do, it might be good to go reread some of these stories and get some of the details you've never seen before. But when we're talking about the gospel, that's what we're talking about. And the resurrection is important because that is him taking our punishment he was uh as isaiah says he was wounded for our iniquities he was bruised he was uh, wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquity the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed right that's what that was that was the cross And then the burial, like I said, we're going to talk about is just as important, and we're going to talk about why. And then the resurrection, obviously, is important, and we're going to talk about that as well. So this is what we mean when we talk about the gospel. We're talking about Jesus is basically what we're talking about when we talk about the gospel. And that narrative is important because if you don't get the narrative right in your head, then you have a hard time telling the story accurately. If you make it about us, which a lot of people do, and it's it's in innocence, and there's nobody doing anything wrong with that. But if you make it about us, it kind of changes the story, right? And, and you miss important pieces of it. But if you make it about Jesus, then we're looking at somebody who's different than anybody else who's ever been born, right? We're looking at a person, a man, who lived a completely selfish life or selfless life, no selfishness at all. A man who wouldn't even own his own home, who had no house to dwell in, so that he could that much easier uh, go out and be a, a ministering and giving the word to his people. Right, Everything about Jesus was completely selfless. And that's something that's never been seen before. You go out in the world today, everybody you talk to just about, Is going to have an angle. And if you do meet an honest person, they are going to be dishonest at some point or another through the course of their life. It's just going to happen. You know, at some point, we become selfish. And if they're not dishonest, they're doing something that uh, is for them at the expense of somebody else. It's just human nature. And it's something we learn to fight as Christians, but it's something, a fight that we lose every once in a while so we all have that within us uh we we called a couple companies uh working on uh, some stuff we had going on at the house this week and we had one guy come out and he says oh yeah you're going to need to have somebody come out and completely replace this whole thing and uh so we're oh man i don't know know, they said yeah you can get fined if you don't get this fixed and oh man i don't you know so we called somebody else out maybe they came out and I took a look at it and he said, "Yeah, it's gonna be you know twenty-five thousand dollars and so forth and so on." And we we're like, "Oh, we can't afford it." And he's like, "Well, we gotta have half up front, and half by the time we're done." I did, so you have to figure that out. So we did a little research and come to find out, uh, we don't have to have that work done. Like if we're having an issue, we need to have something done, but we didn't have to have that specific thing. He was trying to sell us was what was going on. It was an angle for him. He was trying to make a sale. At the expense of somebody who told them, we can't afford it, right? And uh, people excuse that kind of behavior every single day. And they do it by saying, well, that's business. And like that makes it okay. Like that justifies their greed and their selfishness. Like the laws of Christianity don't apply to the business world. Let me tell you, the laws of Christ apply everywhere in everything you do in every moment of your life from the way you treat your family to the way you conduct your business all the way down to the way you conduct yourself in traffic every moment of your life applies to the laws of Christ every single thing so when we're talking about the gospel we're talking about somebody who is so much better than us because we don't always do right by our family We don't always do right in business. And sometimes you get a little mad in traffic and you treat people a way you're not supposed to. But man, when we make them see the gospel and we make them see Jesus and we show them this person that cared about them so deeply. In a world where it makes you feel like nobody's going to have your back. Nobody cares about you. You are going to have to find a way to survive on your own because you're on your own. And you show them somebody who selflessly cares about them. That's a powerful message. Somebody who not only cares about them, but cares about them so much, he endured the cross for them. That if they were the only person in all of human history to ever get saved, Jesus would have still gone to the cross just for them. Nobody gets to heaven on a group on a, a, a Groupon. Right? He looked at each and every one of you as individuals and handpicked you as individuals. And said, I see that person, each and every one of us. And he found your redeemable qualities. He loved you as you are, and he died for you. That's the power of the gospel message. Of the the death of Christ. Well, now in verse 38, we're going to look at the burial. Of Christ, It says in verse 1, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, is how you pronounce that word, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. So he followed Christ, he believed in Christ in his heart, and with all his heart, but he didn't announce it out loud. Let me tell you, <clears throat> it was a very different culture than it is today. Right? For a man not to announce out loud that he is a believer in Christ was not such a shameful thing as it is in our culture today. For Joseph of Arimathea to say in a large crowd that he wasn't a Christian wasn't like when Peter did it. When Peter did it, he was ashamed of being a Christian. He was embarrassed to be a Christian. But also he had been following Jesus proudly and boldly and he was loud and proud Peter. Right? So for him to be ashamed of Christ is a very different thing than Joseph of Arimathea to be ashamed, to not be ashamed of Christ but to be a follower secretly. Because for him to be a follower secretly was a matter of survival. You look in the book of Acts and you see where Paul, he goes through the list of the things that the Jews did to him when they would catch him and find out that he was preaching the gospel. Uh, he, he lists it. He says, uh, once was I stoned. They literally stoned him until he nearly died. And some of us, myself included, believe he did die. And the Lord brought him back to life. Uh, He says, five times received I 40 stripes, saved one. You know that scourging we talked about that Jesus endured last week? Paul got that five times through the course of his life. He was shipwrecked. They were uh, on his way to take him to Rome, they were in a big ship. There's quite a story, an angel showed up, and in the midst of a big storm, they thought it was going to crash, and so a bunch of people started jumping ship, and Paul said, hang on, hang on, I see an angel here, and he's saying, if we stay on the ship, we'll be safe. Amen. Amen. But uh, people started saying, what are you, crazy? He jumped off the ship and uh, didn't make it. But those that trusted in Paul's uh, vision of the angel were saved, but uh, they were still shipwrecked, but they made it back alive. Paul had been through quite a lot for the gospel's sake. Uh, You saw, we talked about last week, we're going to finish that sermon this week, but we talked about last week, thriving in harsh conditions, where Peter was arrested and put him in a maximum security prison, Roman prison, uh, just for being associated as a Christian and being a follower of Christ. So it was a very dangerous world in which to be a Christian. During the days of Paul, Paul would go before he was a Christian, and it was his job to arrest Christians. He would go and bind them, whole families of people, of Christians, and drag them back uh, to Jerusalem where they would have these whole families of Christians uh, put in the Colosseum and eaten alive by wild lions. And there would be people who would buy tickets and pay for a seat so they could come and watch Christians be eaten alive by lions in a stadium. And if the uh, events were going too long and they had far too many Christians uh, to kill with the lions, they would take some of these Christians and they would put them in cages. They would line the cages around the Colosseum. They would douse those cages in oil and light those Christians on fire so that the people could continue to see the other Christians being eaten alive by lions. It was a dangerous world in which to be a Christian. So let me tell you something. When we're talking about secretly being a Christian, we're not talking about some A-list celebrity afraid he might lose a couple million dollars out of his seven billion because he's afraid people might find out he's a Christian. Maybe we need less people walking on stage and slapping people around and more people standing up and saying, I am a Christian and I'm proud of it. The sacrifices we make in our day and age don't hold a candle to the things that our forefathers did for us. We stand on the shoulders of giants today. Some men and some women who gave it all up so that we could be here today worshiping Christ and talking about his burial. Talking about his resurrection. People who, if you ever read some of the stories from Fox's Book of Martyrs, It's horrendous, but it's powerful. Man who I read a story of a a guy one time who was about to be burned alive at the stake for his heresy of the Catholic Church. Great history the Catholic Church has. And as they as he was about to be burned, he continues to preach about the gospel and he sticks his arm in the fire as the flesh and his arm begins to melt away as he's continuing to preach. Some of these people gave up everything for us. The truths of the word of God that this church holds to today is not one we do lightly, and it's all thanks to men, like, men and women like them. So Joseph of Arimathea, he was a Christian, but he was so secretly, and that is why it wasn't such a shame for him to do. And it was also why it was such a a brave thing for somebody to do when they came forward and didn't get baptized. They were associating themselves with something that people got killed for. And it was a really brave thing to do. But it was also totally understood if you chose not to make it so public. Very different day and age. Uh... It says, they besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. Now, you see, we're getting into a time thing here. We're going to see that here in a second, uh, where it says, he came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. Uh, And there came also Nicodemus. So before we get into Nicodemus, we want to talk about the time thing here. Anybody ever heard of Good Friday? Right? Why do people observe Good Friday? Somebody tell me. Because we think it's the day that Jesus died on the cross. Right. That is what Good Friday is about. Is the day that Jesus died on the cross. Jesus did not die on a Friday. And this is a big misnomer, right? Because the math doesn't add up. Jesus died on a Wednesday. Okay? Now, and here was the thing. Okay, so... Jesus, if he died on that Wednesday, they had to get him down and get him in the tomb before 6 a.m. Thursday morning. Because days in biblical times worked differently than they do today. We work off of a 24-hour day cycle. Right? Bible days work off of 12-hour cycles. So from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. was one day. And anything that wasn't between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. wasn't considered part of the day. It was considered a part of a different cycle, which was called the night cycle. That's why you see in the book of Genesis, it says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Because it's talking about two different cycles of time. The 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. morning is the day, and the all the rest of it was the evening. Right? So that's why a lot of times you'll see in the Bible it mentions so many days and nights, right? Forty days and 40 nights, right? Three days and three nights. It's because that was their time cycle. It worked off of 12 hour periods rather than a whole 24 hour period. So, that's important for understanding this timeline, because what it means is that Jesus had to be in the tomb before 6 a.m. on Thursday morning, because that was the beginning of their preparation for the Passover. And the reason they were in such a rush to get Jesus killed was because they had to have him killed before their Passover preparations, because that was against their laws. So Jesus was killed on the cross on Wednesday. They got him down off the cross, and he was in the tomb 6 a.m. Thursday morning. So he's in the grave Thursday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Friday, I'm sorry, uh, Thursday he was buried. I'm I'm off a day. Wednesday was the day they took the Lord's Supper. Thursday was the day he's buried. Or Thursday was the day he was on the cross. And he was on the cross all day. Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday. That's three whole days. And 6 a.m. Sunday morning was when he resurrected. He was in the grave. Does that make sense? He was in the grave. He was was put in the tomb. First thing Thursday morning. Because he was in there all day Thursday, all day Friday, and all day Saturday. That's three full days. So what day did he actually... He died on Wednesday. He did die on Wednesday. He did die on Wednesday. I'm sorry. He died on Wednesday. He was in there all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday. And then 6 a.m. Sunday morning, Jesus resurrected. Does everybody understand that so far? Okay. And that timeline is important uh, because it does tell us when everything actually happened and what time they're doing this. Uh, so that is Good Friday is a bit of a misnomer, but we can appreciate Like, we don't know that Jesus was actually born on December 25th, right? We know it was somewhere within those few days. So he was in the tomb all day Thursday, mm-hmm. all day Friday, yes. all day Saturday. Yes. Okay. Because it's a 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. thing. Right. So so long as he was in the tomb by 6 a.m. Uh, Thursday morning, that's your three days and three nights, okay. right? He says, for as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Right? That's your three days and three nights. So we come up and he's resurrected on Sunday. But then we see in verse 39 it says, and there came also Nicodemus. Anybody know who Nicodemus is? He was not the king. A Pharisee and a member of the... Cheater. Hmm. Nicodemus is a pretty big Bible player. Anybody know why? I just remember him not being right with God and God's finger biting on the wall. <laughs> that was, uh, no, that that's no, that was an Old Testament story. Um, that was in the book of Daniel. Okay. You see. You're thinking of King Nebuchadnezzar? Uh-huh. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, it was actually the king after him. I think it's King Darius. And all I but, yeah. can hear is the Zacchaeus song in my head. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, climbed up in a sycamore tree. Right. Not Nicodemus. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But then every time I think about Nicodemus, I hear Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. Yeah. We're yeah. running off on our stories, <laughs> aren't we? Has anybody ever heard of, of, it's a little peculiar verse, uh, John three sixteen. You guys heard of that one? Yeah vaguely maybe once or twice more familiar with John do you know who spoke John 3.16 was it Jesus it was do you know who he spoke it to I'm guessing Nicodemus Nicodemus you see the story goes in John 3 that Nicodemus met with Jesus in secret because he was a Pharisee and he was a very prominent Pharisee he was a very important Pharisee of these group of people who grew to really hate Jesus Nicodemus wasn't one of those that really hated Jesus. He really kind of actually started to believe in Jesus. But he didn't want the other Pharisees to know because, as we said, he's a prominent figure. So he was a little bit like Joseph of Arimathea. They were both secretly Christians. They were, let's call them closet Christians, shall we? Let's claim that little title for ourselves. They've taken the rainbow flag, right? We'll take their term. They were closet Christians and see how they like it. But we've got these two closet Christians that uh, believe in the Lord but are afraid for their lives if they confess the Lord. And so Nicodemus meets with Jesus at night for fear of his life. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Master, we know thou art a prophet from God, for no man can do the miracles which thou doest. And uh, Jesus begins to explain to him here, I'm not just some prophet. That's when he begins to explain who he is. And as he's explaining who he is and explains to him about salvation, we come to John 3:16. right? He's explaining this to Nicodemus, explaining that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Right? So he's teaching the prophet of God, and he says, that's where the phrase "born again comes from. He's teaching Nicodemus about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, and he says, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is confused by this. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? going I crawl back into my mother's womb the second time and be born again? That'd be awkward. No. And Jesus says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So in other words, a man needs two births in his lifetime. If he has the physical birth which the Bible refers to as a water birth because uh, that is the kind of birth, you know, they didn't have fancy hospitals back then, so you had a lot of water births, more natural at-home births like some people do today. So that which is born of water, physical birth, and then that which is born of the Spirit, which is being born again, trusting in Jesus and being saved. Right, so that's that whole dialogue with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus... Uh, hears Jesus saying these things, and I believe in that moment gets saved and trusts the Lord as a Savior, but remains a closet Christian. So Joseph of Arimathea meets with Nicodemus in the middle of the night to get Jesus' body, because he finally got permission from Pilate to get Jesus' body off the cross and prepare it and put it in the tomb. And so we see it says, there came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and a hundred pound weight. So, and this is also important as well, uh, because Nicodemus is coming with a mixture, it says, of myrrh and aloes, and they didn't have uh, the technology we do today to prepare bodies for burial. Right, because there's a whole process that you have to go through when you prepare a body to be buried, um, to make sure that you know different fluids and so forth are tended to, and it's a it's a whole disgusting process. I won't go into this morning. But uh, they didn't have all of that, right? So what they would do is they would take all of these um, these ointments, you know, uh, oils and ointments and and uh, aloes and different things, and they would uh, cover the body in these things, and then once the body was covered in these things, they would wrap it up with the what's called the grave clothes, and there were three or four different kinds of grave clothes. There was the one that went around the main part of the body, and it was like uh, strips of cloth that sort of wrapped around, sort of like a mummy, and then at the feet... Uh, the feet uh, were sort of tied together at the feet, and then you had the head, the cloth that went over the head. And so that's, they, so that's what they were doing. They were preparing Jesus' body. They were anointing his body with these oils. Uh, and it is interesting that you see a fulfillment here. Uh, what did it say there in verse 39? They brought a mixture of what? Myrrh. Myr. Does anybody remember? three gifts of the wise men? Gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, the wise men even knew Jesus was born to die upon Calvary. So they bring that myrrh, they bring the aloes, they anoint his body, and then they wrap him up in the grave clothes. Right? Which brings us to verse 40. It says, then they took the body of Jesus wound it with the linen clothes, uh, with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. And now see, the spices are important too because they go over top of the grave clothes, which is what Mary was coming to do uh, at the story of the resurrection. She was coming to put those spices on the grave clothes because to her knowledge, nobody else has prepared his body for burial. She doesn't, because remember, they're closet Christians. Nobody knows about them. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus did this, but nobody knows that they did it. So Mary was coming to do it. So they put the spices on the body, as it says here uh, in verse 40. It says, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, where was never a man yet laid. Uh, So it is believed by many people, and I believe this as well, that this tomb was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. This was a tomb that belonged to his family, possibly the tomb he was supposed to lay in. And uh, that instead he gave it up to Jesus. And that is very picturesque of why the burial of Christ is just so important and just as important as the death or the resurrection. And it is because Jesus took our place in death. He was buried, and he died so that we would not have to see death. Did you know a Christian never really actually dies? Did you know that? A Christian passes through what is known as the shadow of death. Which means we all have that appointment one day that we'll have to keep. But when your soul and your spirit leave your body, they don't actually die. They go to heaven and they live better than you've ever lived here on earth in your life. And then one day, when the time is right and the Lord returns, our body meets soul and spirit in the air and we become a new glorified creature. We don't know what will look like when that happens, uh, but we know it'll be something great. It's always fun to know about a surprise that you know you're gonna enjoy. It's like when somebody who really knows you really well says, I got a surprise for you. And you're like, what is it? Because surprises can be disappointing. And they're like, and they're like, I'm not going to tell you, but just trust me, you're going to love this. You Then all the pressure's off, right? You're like, okay, this person knows me really well. They know I'm going to like this. Now I can just be excited, right? That is what Jesus did for us. He says, there's this place called heaven. And we were like, oh, what's it like, Jesus? And he's like, I'm not going to tell you, but trust me, you're going to love it. So now the pressure's off, and we can just be like, oh man, I can't wait to see what heaven's got surprises in it. So Jesus was buried in your place. He took death for you. Right? And it's important that he was buried. Because if he was never buried, he could never have defeated death. Right? It's important that when he resurrected, he resurrected from a tomb. It was important that when he resurrected, he resurrected out of the grave clothes. That when they went into a tomb to look for their Lord, their master, they saw the napkin that was laid about his head folded and set in a corner. That was important to see because if he had just ascended up to heaven before he died on the cross, then that would have been something amazing, but it wouldn't have been what we got because what we got was to see that the Lord Jesus Christ himself holds immutable power over the very concept of death itself. Jesus beat death like death is an opponent, and Jesus defeated it. And because Jesus defeated death, he didn't just defeat death for himself. He defeated death for each and every one of us. And all you have to do is trust him as your Lord and Savior. You know what the New Testament says? It says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Because when a Christian dies... Death does not take hold of them, the Lord does. You imagine how frustrating that must be for death? He's walking around in his hooded cloak and his scythe. He's walking around, he comes up to a Christian's house and they're about to die, and he says, (laughs) I've got me one. And then Jesus says, nope, that one's mine. Oh, not again. I'm getting a latte. Uh, Imagine Death is sitting at Starbucks, just rubbing his brow. Uh, How many more of these people he's gonna take from me? I need a double shot. Yeah. Not today, Death. Not today. It says in verse forty-one that this tomb Uh, in this uh, new sepulcher was never a man yet laid. There's a really cool uh, tour you can take. A couple of friends of mine from seminary went on. They went to the, the Holy Lands. They went to Israel and they did this tour where you can go to the empty tomb. You can actually go and see the tomb that Jesus was laid in. And they do this scan. They have machinery nowadays where they can do a scan in the tomb and it'll show if ever there was a decaying body in the tomb. Nothing. Never a dead body in that tomb. Every cell that died on Jesus was revived again when he resurrected. It is amazing to me to think, and this is the nerd coming out in me, but it is amazing for me to think on a a biological, scientific level how his resurrection worked that there's not even any decay in that tomb every single cell that Jesus left behind he took with him because that's not how decay works right once a thing starts to decay it's decayed I mean you're not getting that back Jesus just rewound the clock on himself kind of and see that's what I'm not sure about I don't know how that really works but when Jesus resurrected he resurrected completely there's nothing left behind Let me tell you something. When you're in heaven, it doesn't matter what happened to you through the course of your life. You go to heaven complete and whole. Two eyes, two ears, a nose, a mouth, two hands, you know, everything. The Lord doesn't do half jobs. There was never a man yet laid in there. It says in verse 42, There laid they Jesus Therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, which we mentioned before about the timeline, uh, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So they got him in there, they got him uh, prepared for burial, and then they were ready to uh, observe the Passover. And that is something else I want to mention, and we're out of time, but each of the Old Testament feasts uh, pictures a New Testament event. Uh, the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, uh, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, uh, and that sort of a thing. They each represent a major moment in the New Testament period. And uh, we might look at that someday because it's very interesting. But that's our lesson for this morning. We'll be back at 11 o'clock for the morning service. Thank you.